0: Listening. to the CD Baby, CD, CD Baby. Baby, CD Baby, DIY, DIY oh. musician
1: <laughs> podcast. Hey there, and welcome to episode number one hundred and thirty-five of the CD Baby DIY musician podcast. My name is Kevin Bruner, and joining me for this roundtable edition is Chris and the Bolt. Hey guys, how you doing? Hey, oh, very good well uh, I, I have to have a little story to share a little anecdote that relates to music it's about music I just got back from being on a little family vacation and uh, my dad had brought my sister's old record player down we were at her house in Southern California we live up in the, the Portland Oregon area my dad had brought her record player down and uh, we actually pulled out some records and sat around listening to, to some albums it was uh, Quite an experience. I, I, if you know my family, you would you would see that as an odd thing that we would sit around listening <laughs> to records. But it was it was a very interesting listening experience because it's totally different than you know the the digital listening experience, and it was it was very pleasurable, I have to say.
2: Did everyone actually shut up and pay attention?
1: Yeah, everyone was just sitting there listening, and she only had like five records. It was uh, Police Synchronicity. There was uh, um, a remix of Shout by Tears for Fears, because she got all these in the 80s. Uh, There was Men at Work, and uh, what was the... Oh, Billy Joel Glass Houses. Wow. So (laughs) those were ours. The funny thing was I put on the UK remix of Shout by Tears for Fears, and I didn't know it was a 78, and I had it set to 45. And so it was a little (laughs) bit slower and had these weird vocals. I think, I'm like, this is... It's just how the remix is, and so it was about halfway through we realized like, show, I had the speed. So yeah, that's exactly show, what it was. <laughs> so um,
0: that that reminds me of um, the I went down a couple of weeks ago to um, this place on the Washington coast called the Southwester, and they rent out sou or they they rent out um, trailers, kind of like a hotel that you can stay in. It's right on the beach and each one of their trailers is equipped with a record player that has a built-in speaker, and then they have a curated um, group of records, probably like 10 or 15 records in every trailer. And um, the person who curates those, I believe, is the same one that owns Mississippi Records. Um, so he they're basically like these weird, obscure, like old blues and folk and um, African music, that um, you can just put on these dainty little record players and play in your trailer, and it's just a, such an amazing experience. Um, really, really different than than almost any other sort of musical experience I can think of.
1: Yeah, the, the one thing that I liked that I particularly noticed is uh, the one thing that irritates me about listening to music with other people in the digital era, and this started with CDs, because I had a friend in college who would always do this is... When you're listening in the car and people go, oh, you got to check this out, and then they keep skipping after 30 seconds of hearing a track. I'm like, are you going to let me listen to it, or are we going to just skip through this album? Uh, yeah, a little tougher happened. to do
2: on vinyl.
1: Yeah, I, I was on a road trip with someone here at CD Baby recently, and uh, they kept they're like, oh, you got to check this out, and they, I'm like, are you going to let me hear it, or are we going to keep skipping songs? Vinyl, <laughs> you can't do that. You've got to sit and listen, and it's kind of nice.
2: Well, you know, artists know that, so they actually really only care about the first 30 seconds of songs. Then after that, it's all filler, anyways. Yeah, <laughs> that's,
1: that's right. You can, you can just download free, royalty free music to fill out the second two and a half minutes of your music. So, anyway, uh, it was a fun experience. It was, uh, I think I'm going to get a record player now. Um, totally different, and it, it brought back some of the joys of listening to music. So uh, we've got lots to talk about today, some good discussion. We're going to start off with some news. Then we've got a discussion that uh, was a hot topic on the DIY, DIY Musician blog about an artist's image. And uh, then we have some, some of your phone calls and emails to, to share on the show. So uh, let's get started with some news.
3: CD Baby. CD Baby. Music.
1: Music. 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 News. So here are the headlines that uh, we're going to discuss this week. Artists are extremely upset about recent changes to SoundCloud, especially to their iPhone app. SoundCloud released a new version of their iPhone app that focuses on the user listening experience. The updated app completely removes the ability to record and upload tracks to SoundCloud. Plus, many other creator features have been removed. The iPhone app centers around two things, the music feed displaying tracks from followed artists and trending tracks in various genres. SoundCloud's co-founder and CTO Eric Wolforts. I'm sorry I messed up his last name. Eric W, we'll call him Eric W. has also told various outlets that SoundCloud is considering a new payout approach. He said that accounts with millions of followers and listeners can expect some type of future monetization. He also says it will seamlessly fit into their user experience, but he can't go into detail about it now. I, ha- I have to say I was angry with a capital A when I updated my app and they removed all those creative features.
0: I feel like it, this just smacks of Quickster to me i feel like remember when netflix tried to like divide their services into um the the people who wanted to get the dvds in the mail and then the people who just wanted to stream online and then everybody flipped out and they lost like millions of customers i feel but like then they got
2: them all back
0: they <laughs> got them all back but they had to fix the problem. They they put the two pieces back together and I think that the you don't just alienate a huge amount of your um of your users without repercussions and I I feel like it's a real dangerous move for them.
1: Well the thing that made me mad is SoundCloud has always been built on creators. And I know there's been lots of rumors about talking about monetization and, and they're getting pressure to monetize because basically, you know, they're streaming tracks online for free and not paying any royalties for it. Um, and any sort of uh, payments like uh, SoundCloud pays or Pandora, none of that. So they're getting pressure to, to monetize and make a way to pay for the usage of the music on their site. And so... It's, this To me, this is a clear step in the we're not going to be about creators anymore. We're going to try and make ourselves into a streaming service. If you, if you download the new app, I mean, it, it is like a streaming service. I'm like, I don't use this for a streaming service. Right. And It was built off creators, and all the money they make now is from people upgrading to pro accounts, which are creators getting pro accounts. The listeners aren't paying anything. So for them to do this uh, really angered me.
2: And, and if it's not for the creators, then my attitude is the world doesn't need another streaming site.
1: Exactly. I certainly don't. So. No, exactly. They don't have anything to offer that, that I mean, they have a lot less to offer than what uh, uh, Spotify can offer. They did respond, I mean, they got hammered in their blog. I mean, hammered in the comment section uh, when they announced the new app. And they responded basically saying, hey, we had to choose something to roll out first and we want to fix some features and make them better. And the only thing they said that would be coming would be better playlisting options. I'm like, I don't care about playlists. I used <laughs> it to record ideas and rehearsals and to post to SoundCloud to share them easily. And so now I'm not using SoundCloud anymore. And it's not a like me pouting and Crossing my arms, going, I'm not using them anymore. And then a week later, I'm using them. It's like that's the only reason I use SoundCloud. If they're going to preventing it from using it, yeah. So, anyway, that that happened. I'd be curious to hear if any other artists uh, had feedback on that. But let's move on. Google has acquired music streaming service Songza after weeks of speculation around a potential buyout. Songza uses information about the user and context to determine the best playlist for you at any given time, all of which are curated by music experts, DJs, and Rolling Stone writers, and etc. Very few services look to human curation to enhance the music experience. Pandora, Spotify, and other big players rely heavily on algorithms, making this one of the key selling points of the service. Plus, Songza has tons of data around what people like to listen to based on time of day, the weather, location, and activity which can be immensely valuable to a company like Google who is looking to seamlessly integrate technology into every corner of your life. According to Google, Songza will remain intact for users and nothing will change about the service for now. Though songs expertise will be applied to other products like Google Play Music and YouTube. So it's just interesting development that uh, Google bought that, that streaming service up. I, have you guys, do you guys use Songza at all? I don't, no there's uh, somebody here at cd baby really liked it i've used it before and it is kind of cool the way it uh does uh curate playlists um so uh you know they, they, it is it's probably more on the lines of playlist curation like what beats music is trying to do um so i
2: wonder if they paid uh three billion dollars for it
1: no it, <laughs> apparently the room they didn't say but the rumors online were more that it was in the lines of uh like $15 million because they don't have a huge audience, but it's more, they, they're more buying it for the technology. So right. it's like the technology in the database um, is more valuable. If they wanted to build a streaming service, well, they already have Google Play, so, or Google Play Music All Access, whatever it's called.
2: <laughs> and so. that other streaming service, uh, YouTube.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, the, the streaming wars are heating up. Finally, the last admin news. Music Vault opens the vault on YouTube. Music Vault, a repository of live music performances, is unlocking 12,000 concert videos on YouTube, including performances by such classic acts as Bob Dylan, The Grateful Dead, James Brown, and Bruce Springsteen. Music Vault spent the last two years restoring and remastering thousands of tapes from its archives. The YouTube channel, which launched in April, now boasts some 2,000 hours worth of live concert footage including Carlos Santana's 1970 performance of Evil Ways at Tanglewood and a full concert video of Stevie Ray Vaughan from 1985. So, pretty cool. Uh, Lots of uh, classic concert footage now available on YouTube.
2: Is it all footage, or is there some things where they just had the audio and they're uploading it?
1: This is all concert videos from what, videos. what I've uh, read, and so I haven't had a chance to go check out all 12,000 videos, but I'm assuming <laughs> it's all concert footage. It, the, I was looking at Music Vault's website, and it seemed like it was all videos. So, so there's some good classic concert videos on there. I'm a big fan of concert footage. so
2: I'm amazing. always impressed when... Um, Like, you know, popular bands have just tons of footage that you've never seen before. Like, Because my assumption is, you know, it takes a lot to film a a show or a series of shows and edit the audio and all that stuff. Like, surely they would have made a concert video already.
1: But I guess not. Well, and also some of this stuff is, you know, back in the the day of tape where it, it might not have been the the greatest quality, but with digital tools and remastering, they can actually uh, make it so it's easier to, to mass duplicate, you know, or okay. to put in a digital file that has audio quality. So I don't know, you know, there's, the intern stuck a box of tapes in the wrong spot, and for 25 years, nobody could find those. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have any more about the news, so why don't we get into the discussion? So we we had a, a blog article that that was getting a lot of comments this past week. mixed mixed comments. Some people <laughs> hated it. Some people thought it was great. And uh, Chris, you were you were moderating most of those comments. And so I thought it'd be interesting to discuss on the podcast. So why don't you set the stage for us with the premise of the article? And then you can lay out you know, kind of some of the artist feedback and we can discuss from there.
0: And who wrote, who wrote it?
2: Uh, a guy named Brandon Seymour wrote it. And um, he's, he's essentially a music hobbyist. He, it sounds like from his 15 years of playing music, he's had sort of semi-pro phases and some hobby phases. But um, he's also got really into music marketing. Um, and when he was thinking about marketing... He decided that image is everything. So he wrote this article for us called Your Image is More Important Than Your Music, especially if you're an Indie Artist. Um, which, you know, it's a pretty controversial title, so it it sparks some some heated comments. But um I thought I'd start off with one of the quotes from it just to kind of give you his where he's coming from. He says the music industry, and I use that term very loosely, isn't concerned with art or expression. It's not about identity or originality, and it's definitely not about talent. It's about money. I'm not saying that you won't ever be appreciated as an artist. I'm also not saying that being an artist, art, being an artistic genius precludes you from mainstream success. I'm saying that the music industry as a whole doesn't care who you are unless they can profit from what you have to offer, regardless of how amazing or awful you actually are. It's not evil. It's just business. As with any other business, even the greatest products can't sell themselves. The image or brand perception is what makes people want to buy. So,
1: uh, yeah, that's a strong quote. <laughs>
2: it is. I, I, and, believe, uh, I believe in it completely. Many folks did not. I, I thought it sounded very, uh, you know, logical to me and he basically was sort of telling this, um, Anecdotally about his own experience, and he said, "You know, once I realized that, I put a new band together, and we concentrated on our image first. And in fact, they didn't even have any original songs for their like first five shows. Um, and he said, within a few months, they'd had um, they'd gotten a ton of good press. They were opening for national acts. They were headlining festivals. They were playing like five times a month, and." um some publications named them the best band in South Florida so you know he he didn't have this monstrous national success but locally just focusing on the image did wonders for them
1: is well, that now, a hard is that a hard list to get on best band <laughs>
2: <laughs> i don't know i am just <laughs> kidding all you musicians it's in south with Florida, Miami, just right yeah. got to be uh, but he also said um in his own words we're not especially talented or good looking we're just concerned with image so uh I thought it was a great um, like I said, like an anecdotal story of this idea, like we were we were focused on this other thing besides just the music, and it it did you know it was very helpful to our success
1: yeah, it's it's very interesting before before we start giving our our weighing in with our comments or feedback or thoughts on the issue why don't you go ahead and, and a couple (laughs) of the, uh, the comments (laughs) by artists just so people can kind of understand, uh, what What the controversy was. I'm sure we, I'm sure some people already got so angry with us in this podcast that they probably turned it off because of what you just (laughs) said. So
2: yeah. Okay. So some of the detractors, there was sort of two camps about what people were pissed off about. And the first criticism was, uh, maybe the obvious one people were saying it should be about the music. So this guy Ezra Weiss wrote in and he says, this is drivel. This is drivel, all in caps. Image is not more important than music. Let your music speak for you. Be human. Be multifaceted. Be honest. Have high expectations of your listeners. Let that expectation raise the quality of your music. Blah, blah, blah. He goes on. And then uh, um, remember why you started all this in the first place. Um, a guy named Sam the Human said, truly great music has nothing nothing to do with image. Let me ask you this. How many people talk about the level of brand awareness Miles Davis of the Beatles had? Answer, they don't. Um,
1: I would greatly argue with that. <laughs> me,
2: me too. I was going to hold my rebuttal. Until oh, okay, this last yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. So ahead. then uh, Busta Speaker says, you have very succinctly... <laughs> you have very succinctly pointed out one of the main reasons why contemporary music, for the most part, sucks beyond belief. Serve the song, first, last, always. Truly great tunes will always outlive an image. What is still keeping Elvis's catalog um, more than viable? VHS copies of a morbidly obese shadow of his comeback tour or the music itself? If his tunes sucked, no one would know or care who he was. Okay, so now that I said that, I agree. If his tune sucked, no one would care fifty years later. But his image is what made people care.
0: His image is huge. I mean, people are more familiar with what Elvis looks like than what he sounds like.
2: like, Right. You remember the jumbo, the guitar, and the hips gyrating, and his hair, and
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, the 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 thing with you know that I would say out out of the gate is that yes, the music. If you're an artist and you're making music, yes the music is the most important thing for you personally the, the the point of the article was more about when you go out and market yourself and you're trying to get people to pay attention to what you're doing that the the image is really key in getting communicating who you are and i think that's the point artists were missing um why, why don't you? There's there's another uh, main point people were uh, criticizing on, but or, or was that it? No, no, no.
2: The, there was yeah, like I said, there's two main criticisms. The other one was um, that he didn't offer any specific advice about you know how to even think about your image or or how to how to form an image. Um, so like I was saying, he he meant it more just anecdotally. Like I thought about image and it was. Successful and and then I kind of t- in his defense was wondering how you would give specific advice about image to a general audience. That's, you know the CD Baby audience is huge. It's like seven hundred genres. People have all different levels of ambition. So um, maybe maybe uh, I'm defending him before I've read the com- read the comments. But uh,
0: now now I think that I I really agreed with that initial quote that you read with him. But I feel like. Pushing image to the center of the discussion is um, can be misleading. It could cause artists to actually go in the wrong direction with their career, and that's why I think it's kind of dangerous about focusing on image, because I think the image should come from within. It should come from your that same place that your music is coming from, that sort of creative center, and it doesn't need to happen all at once. If you, I think a lot of artists, you know, what reason why they're, they're reacting the way they are is because they think image is being, you know, a 22 year old pop star in a miniskirt or whatever. Like, I think that image is something that comes from your life experience. It's something that comes from your personality. It comes from your experience of playing, you know, a hundred or 200 or shows or whatever. Like though it's something that emerges and it's not something you can always turn on it is something you can pay attention to um and and facilitate and grow and it'll probably help you get shows and help you succeed but it's not something that you can just like oh let's go get costumes at the costume (laughs) store and then we'll have a new image you know
2: yeah it it reminds me of uh if we remember lisa lapine our interview with her like back in was it episode two or something of this podcast she said something about persona which i think is pretty closely linked to image she said you know your persona shouldn't be a lie or dishonest it should be just kind of like a a slightly dramatic emphasis of some aspect of yourself that you that you want to communicate you're just kind of blowing it up for people
1: exactly i'll That's tell it. you what's not an image a picture of you standing on stage in short pants
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's not an image that you're ever going to get out of your mind <laughs> less no.
0: Unless you're into, unless you're into trop,
1: trop rock, I feel like trop rockers. Well, there's there's some exceptions. Some of the heavy metal crowd, they they wear the low hanging shorts and it works. Um, but I don't want to get into two specifics like that. But uh, something that you said, Bolt, was uh, talking about. Uh, it's not a twenty two year old in a miniskirt. I think I think some of the detractors of the the concept were people that were assuming that it's you know. Katy Perry in a Pepsi commercial and all this slick look and feel to everything, and that's not it at all. I think what I take away from this story uh, is a couple things. One uh, is the main thing that no matter how artistic you want to be, people are making visual choices about everything. You do it all the time. When you, you go to the grocery store, you're choosing things based on what the package looks, not what the food tastes like. Um, unless you've had it before. But there's certain indicators that visually that that product is making that, hey, this is more of what you were looking for. This fits uh, your lifestyle. This fits um, you culturally. And those are all visual cues that help you make those decisions. This one's gonna taste better because it looks like they gave a crap to make a nice label as opposed to this one. The packaging looks kind of crappy. I might get food poisoning from it. (laughs) So you're making those decisions based on visual cues. And in this particular case, this band, uh, you know, the, the music, I have not heard the music, I probably wouldn't have liked the band, but it's an interesting exper- experiment in the fact that the people that are in charge of booking clubs, um, booking festivals, the media, they have visual cues they're queuing off of as well, not just the music. If they've got two bands that, that come and uh land on their desk and they can review one of them chances are the thing and and they like each album equally you know equally one of the things that's gonna tip the the help the one band wind out is the one that has you know some better photographs some some better looking you know packaging and and that's just how it is so that that's one thing i would say now i i wouldn't the other thing i'd say is i don't think that you have to be so obsessed with that 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 you forget about the music. But it's so, you know, artistic types um, typically aren't as concerned with those things and it can be a detriment to your career because uh, whether you like it or not, music fans aren't necessarily the artsy type that that, uh, throw everything aside and go, no, it's just about the music. Um, It's not just about the music to them. It's about... Uh, being a part of a, a group and that's the other thing I would say an image isn't necessarily about how fancy my photos look or how expensive my outfit they're visual cues that let me know that I'm a part of a particular genre or group or that culturally that if I'm somebody that likes you know death metal and you're in uh, wearing skinny blue jeans, cowboy boots and a cowboy hat and a western shirt i'm probably going to think make some judgments visually that oh these these guys aren't what i'm looking for or whatever um and it goes with all genres you know um if uh, a jazz player uh, someone sees a jazz album and it's somebody wearing black leather and chains they're going to think that's not a jazz album i mean it's you can be upset at me for saying that but it's just how it is well and the issue is there's too much music out there now to not
2: be concerned with making those kinds of impressions because um no one's going to give you another second you know past that first judgment saying i don't need that let me find the thing i do need and your music could be perfect for that person but you didn't you know you didn't win them over visually in that first one or two seconds that they're exposed to your image you know whatever
1: And by no means do you have to do these things. You could be the death metal band lead singer that wears Wranglers, cowboy boots, western shirt, and a cowboy hat, and it might work for you. But if, if uh, you know, when you're going out and trying to present your music to the industry at large to get connections, to get gigs, to get press coverage, those things do matter and people make judgments based on those things because... they're they're trying to assign some sort of information to where you belong. And and if if things don't match up or if it looks... uh, uh, There's not a certain level of professionalism like crappy pixelated uh, photos of, (laughs) you know, you look like you just rolled out of bed for the photo or just came from... Which might work in some jobs. Yeah, which might work or, you know, it's just... I've seen so many artists that's like, seriously, you sent me that photo. Really? You want me to listen to your music and you send me that.
0: You know, I, I don't know why I keep on thinking of this, but when I was about 20, I went to go see this pop punk band who I'd been l- listening to a lot. Um, uh, Berkeley pop punk band. I can't remember the name right now, but they were different than other bands because they had very positive message. Um, but my, and, the, and they weren't all, you know, I don't know, sort of cynical punk rock stereotypical band um the what really surprised me is when the band took the stage um the lead singer was barefoot and he had um long hair and just sort of like a hippie hippie loose outfit on and i didn't for when they first came on stage i didn't think i thought that was like the sound guy or something i was like
2: (laughs) who who
0: is this this hippie guy, like that's not. This is not how punk rockers dress. Like I was, you know, twenty years old or whatever. I was dressed like a punk rocker, and I was going to go see a punk rock show, and I was like, "Why is this guy dressed like a hippie?" You know, um, but it really made me think, and it really also made me sort of appreciate. I I saw now. I was like, "Oh, this." The reason why this band sounds different and has a different attitude is because this guy has a different philosophy than a lot of punk rock bands do so I was like oh like this is it in a way it was sort of um visually genre defying and it was interesting to me and made me sort of respect them a little bit more because i was like oh this guy is just being himself like he's kind of a hippie and he's not going to dress like a punk rocker just because he likes punk rock music. He also likes hippie music or whatever, you know. It just sort of made the band image more complex and interesting.
2: Right. Yeah. And the I don't think the article was it, it didn't make any prescription. So it certainly wasn't saying you have to fit your image to something else. I think it was just simply saying think about your image. You know, make very conscious decisions about those sort of things. And like you said, like genre defying can be, you know, open up way more opportunities than if you look like every other band in your genre. But just think about
1: it. Yeah. I mean, artists tend to get upset when you say something is is more important than music. And the, the, the image, I would say, is not more important than the music. I think it's all a part of telling your story. That's, to me, what's the important thing is that you, you may have great music, but today you have to tell a complete story. And that's how it's always been. To say the Beatles didn't think about their image is just ludicrous. Well,
2: um, yeah, they had Brian Epstein, you know, I, thinking it, about their hair and their suits I, and their... Yeah,
1: everything was exactly calculated for those guys. Don't don't fool yourself into think they were just pure geniuses that uh, they just walked in a room and it all happened without anyone thinking about it or, right, you know, having some sort of strategy. Um, uh, but they were geniuses, but it didn't just happen out of the air it was calculated um but anyway so I, I don't I it is about the music I think it's a matter of when artists artists always are frustrated about how do I get more gigs how do I do this and these are the things where that really matters and building a fan base and a following and how you tell your story and you communicate that story it has a look it has a feel it has you know it, and it's just ways that you know things to consider as as you uh write, record, and release music and, and, uh, try to advance your career. Um,
0: you know, something I also wanted to mention just because I, I feel like this, this article I read recently sort of ties into it. Um, I think that if your motivations are to, um, are, are simply to be, um, successful and popular, you're not going to be a, you're you're not going to actually find as much success as if is as, as if your motivations are more about doing something you love and um, having and achieving things for yourself. The this article I read was um, about intrinsic versus extrinsic um, goals and how um, they tested all these people um, in the military at West Point Academy, and they found that the soldiers who were um, attempting um, the program in order to, in order to, uh, have exterior benefits like money, wealth, family, um, like achieve certain goals outside of their self. They were much more likely to fail than those who were going because they liked the lifestyle because they wanted to improve their inner self. So I mean, it was fairly small, isolated study that was related to the military. It's important for us to find success, to have interior goals, to enjoy um, the music, to, to motivate ourselves that way, that if we concentrate too much on sort of goals down the line of fame and fortune and impressing fans and that sort of stuff, we're much less likely to succeed. It doesn't hurt that we want those things, that's fine, but what should be what should be the core motivator for the music we make in order to find success should be more internal, should be more about um, f- fulfilling um, our immediate desires and the joy of playing music and the joy of creating something, et cetera.
1: I agree. And you could be making great music in your pajamas at home, but I don't want to see you in your pajamas. So you better <laughs> have something put together, some sort of better image for yourself.
2: <laughs> One thing I was thinking of is, um, you know, you're talking about, l- Uh, intrinsic versus extrinsic rewards and stuff and if you're looking more for the extrinsic rewards um, probably they're harder to achieve and it's gonna be easier to get frustrated and and give up sooner but also kind of along like a having a a timeline view of things it made me think of a the music is like the only thing that matters once someone gets to your music but until they get there, it doesn't matter at all, and your image is the only thing that matters like there's sort of like it doesn't have to be either or it's just where on the timeline of someone's interaction with your image or music you know are they
1: yeah so Good. let let's let's wrap up with with a couple of quick what I would call action items for artists because uh um, one, you can email us or comment on this podcast and say you're now angry at us because we said image is important or you can weigh in with with some examples but uh, one I would say uh, think about it as you're telling your complete story and the the visual aspect of what you're doing with your music is a part of that story and think about it does it fit Um, does uh, does it do people does it all gel together does it give people the idea of who you are does it um, give people the, the the right idea of the kind of music you do or, or feel like you're a part of a group or culture or subculture that that enjoys that type of music. On a more ba- uh, or practical level, I should say, uh, make sure you have photos when you're sending them around where you look decent. You're, they're not pixelated. They're press quality. Um, I see so many bands send photos like they'll send them to me and it'd be like, um, dude sitting around a table in a bar at night that they took a picture with an iPhone and they're using that as their press photo. Don't do that. That's Those are things that make people think less of you when concerning image. But but you don't have to go overboard, and it's not talking about making yourself look all slick and, and like you're a package that's sitting on a shelf, but it's the idea that all these things are way that we communicate with people the music communicates with people and ultimately that needs to be great but there's other ways that you're communicating to fans and part of that is image so it needs to be considered
2: I wonder if uh, it would be useful to go way simple and say what is your image comprised of and the, the list I had was basically apart from your sound and your genre your fashion your clothes your haircut uh, your band logo, your album art, your concert posters, the look of your website, and like kind of the way you interact with your fans, the things you say in interviews, or how you talk to the media—that was kind yeah. of a basic
0: list. The instruments you play as well.
2: Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And all those things to me are just nice points that draw to make your draw off of to make your story and and build an image around. So. Um, Unless you guys have any final thoughts, uh, we have uh, some feedback and listener calls and emails that I wanted to get to. Let's do it. All right. Let's do it. So we've been getting some great listener calls and emails and feedback and comments on the website. Uh, We love getting those. If you want to email us, it's podcast. at cdbabypodcast.com or you can call our listener line at 360-524-2209 or leave a comment in the comment section for the episode in which you want to uh, weigh in on it's uh been great um lots of good stuff a lot of people out there binge listening i know it's popular to binge watch tv shows which i'm a big fan of but a lot of people have been binge listening to the podcast and it's funny because uh well, I got an email from someone I'm gonna read. He's been binge watching sixty episodes a week and I'm like, Well, we're not gonna keep up that pace for you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh then somebody he was he went back in time and was listening forward, and then someone else uh called in or emailed saying they were binge listening in reverse order, so he was going back in time. So it, it, very wow. interesting. There's
2: there's that'd be an interesting progression for the music
1: industry. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, so, what do you guys want first, calls or emails? Calls. Emails.
2: Oh. oh. Kevin's a tiebreaker. I'm Rochambeau.
1: A tiebreaker. We're, we're going to do, uh, we'll start off with emails. We'll end up with the calls. All right. So, this one is from Stevie Z. Uh, basically, he, he sent me a link to an article, and uh, he says this. The gist of the article is this Pharrell's song Happy got 571,000 plays on terrestrial radio. That translates, according to the article, the articles in Billboard, to 3.3 billion people listening to it. So how much revenue would the song have generated in radio revenue for those plays, and how much would that break down to per listener at 3.3 billion compared to how much Pandora, Spotify, et cetera, would have paid if 3.3 billion people had streamed it? He said, I can't find any hard data on terrestrial radio royalties, other, otherwise I'd do the math. Anyway, hope this provides some food for thought discussion. Take care, Stevie Z. Um, I, you know what? I've, I saw this, and I haven't done the math either myself, but I thought, um, Stevie Z, you uh, must be uh, a, a much better thinker than a lot of the people in the royalty discussion because they have not been able to make that leap of how would it translate and trying to make uh, 571,000 plays on Pandora equal 571,000 plays on terrestrial radio, which you clearly state they are not, and which is the, the accurate way to look at it. So um, I, I don't know how much that would be. It'd be interesting for somebody to find out. I know that 3.3 uh, billion people listening or um, I know that, uh, what is the, Gangnam Style, that, that video was the first video to cross a billion views and at some point they released a statement saying that they had made like 4 million dollars off of that but that's youtube and totally different the pros don't like to release numbers publicly so it's it's going to be hard to to figure up how much that would be unless somebody says this is what was on our statement but it, it is an interesting comparison to go okay if that's uh you know 3.3 billion we've got an article here that says 570,000 let me start over I forgot an article that says five hundred and seventy-one thousand plays equals three point three billion people listening. Um, doing some math and figuring out, we could probably figure it out on for Spotify and uh, and make a guess at Pandora. But I thought that was an interesting observation.
2: Well, yeah, I, I remember when there was the was it Bette Midler? There was some controversy about her Pandora plays maybe three yeah. months ago, and we we did some you know sort of vague math, but essentially if Bette Miller gets played once in a, in a huge market that has like a million listeners and you compare what she made for that one play to reach a million people and then say that on Pandora, she'd have to have a million plays to reach the same amount of listeners, she'd be making way more from Pandora. So the way I look at it is Pandora is, I don't know if you'd say generous, but comparatively generous.
1: Yeah, yeah. comparatively he would have made more Money from Pandora. Um, it just depends. That, like I said, who knows what kind of uh, backroom deals as cap or the or whoever the PRO is makes for those uh, folks who are generating that much revenue. There's there's advances and all those kind of things that come into play. So, um, uh, the next email I have here is from Drew Bernard. Um, he's the one that's been. One of the ones that's been binge listening. His band is called Medic, but basically, I'll skip to the part in his email where he has a question. He said, I did have one question for you guys. What's the deal with email? Everyone seems so caught up in getting people's emails. Is it really that important? I never thought it was, foolishly perhaps. But also, nothing ever seems to come of our emails except for unsubscribes. just thought you might have some insight into why emails are important in the first place. And then he wrote, so "It's funny to feel top. like I'm finally reaching out and contributing to the conversation you guys have started, when I didn't even know you existed a week ago." Keep up the good work, <laughs> fellas. <felons." laughs> so he found us, and he, he he whatever his job is, he he has a lot of sitting around time where he can listen to stuff. And
2: so he, he hasn't overdosed yet. Maybe he's binging, but listening. he's
1: yeah. Um, well, I go ahead, go ahead,
0: go ahead, Bolton. I was just going to say, I've I've written a lot about. Um, the importance of email especially on the host baby blog um, I think that the reason why it's so important is because it's a direct line to your fans um, its you know people consider the inbox a lot different than a social media feed so and especially with Facebook like making it almost impossible to reach all of your fans your email list is one of the most valuable things Um, that you have as a band and it doesn't you know if if you're not getting um, a big response from your list you know you can clean it you can add you know people will unsubscribe unsubscribe but um, it's really the most intimate form of communication besides actually like putting a a personalized letter in the mailbox and sending it to one of your fans (laughs) besides that email is the closest you're going to get and um and that's just a vital resource i mean i think that if you grow your email list if you provide promotions if you really work the list and make them feel like they're personally being talked to and um and appreciated that you will get the sort of um feedback that you're looking for but i would i would not give up on the email list i I think that my, one of my number one advices for any band would be to spend more time thinking about your email list and communicating with those fans.
2: And also, yeah. I think it would be helpful, if, if he hasn't already, to read, um, there's an article on the DIY Musician blog called Facebook Fading by um, a band called the Gothard Sisters. And they spend sort of the first half of it talking about why Facebook is no longer um, a really viable option for marketing their music. But then the second half is really stressing why email is important. And uh, so some of those answers, too, are, are in that article.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, the three of us all work in marketing here at CD Baby. And uh, all, the, all the reading and stuff we do about marketing that is, would probably bore a lot of you uh, is because it's kind of boring to us, too. But we have to do it because it's our jobs. Um, but email is by far the way you get people to take action. Social is just a casual thing. You can get people to take action, and you can be really good. You can be an amazing person on Twitter. Um, If Facebook actually shows your post to people, you might be good on Facebook too. Um, But the email is is the way you get results. So, and it's by far the best marketing communication out there available for folks. You know, like digitally, without you know, spending tons of money. like the bolt said, if your emails aren't getting any sort of reaction, you might want to take a look at what you're sending. And that could be a whole nother episode that we discuss all together. So but thanks for the 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 emails. We've got a couple calls we need to get to. So here we go.
4: Hey guys, I've learned a lot from your podcast. Just want
1: to say thanks.
0: I was wondering if you might do an episode covering managing merchandise and CD sales through your website with all that comes along with that shipping, pricing. All those things. My band, uh, Brian Vickers Band, just released our first album. And now I'm trying to work out all the
4: details of how to do it myself uh, as far as operating an online store. So I'm wondering if you've covered that in the past or if it's something you might be able to cover. I would love to learn more about that.
0: Uh, I can be contacted through brianvickersband.com. Thank you.
1: Yeah, Brian, uh, the the one thing I'd say is, yeah, selling direct to fan off your own website, if you're going to sell CDs, can be a pain. If it's not something where you're getting a ton of orders and can get it down to a science, um, I would say just get your CD for sale on CDBaby.com and and send your fans to us to to do all that for you. I know a lot of fans have, or a lot of artists have burned uh, relationships with their fans by getting overwhelmed or being out on the road and not fulfilling orders in a timely manner. And you know our fans are used to getting stuff from Amazon and places like that where they have customer service. They get um, you know, if there's an issue, they get a response, it gets mailed out immediately, and that's what we do here at CD Baby, too. So, if you are going to do it yourself, um, uh, there was an interview we did uh, years ago with an artist named David Nevue, and he's a solo piano player, and he he is somebody who sells a ton of music directly from his website, so you might want to check out that episode. He uh, has turned it into a total science and uh, has it, he gets enough volume that he's worked out all this stuff, and it 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 really works for him. So you might check out that episode of the podcast. Just search David Neveu and the podcast name, and and uh, it'll come right up. I mean, if you're not, I mean, honestly, I'm I'm not. I don't
0: have the numbers in my head right now, but if you're not going to doing at least five to ten orders a week, then you're going to be losing money just on like gas and time uh, and packaging
1: alone. Yeah, yeah. So. That, that's something to consider and um the the number one thing that i personally always stress to artists is if you're busy and you're out on the road the last thing you want to do is make your fans angry by not fulfilling orders in a timely manner and what, it um, becomes a hassle
2: what what would you suggest for like if he's talking about merch as a kind of global thing was he talking about t-shirts and posters and
1: and that, that might have been the thing I, he didn't really specify uh, he he mentioned CDs, but he also needed the word merch. So we don't do merch fulfillment here. So that you would have to do yourself. But um, if you're just thinking, I'm going to sell my CDs and I'm going to do all the shipping, I, unless you're doing volume, I say, just give it to us. Anyway, we got one more call.
4: Hi, guys. This is Dan Patrick Fulton. I'm a singer-songwriter in the L.A. area. I uh, started listening to the podcast a month or two ago, and I've just been burning through the episodes at work um, telling my friends how amazing it is. Anyway, I wanted to call and say thanks for all the advice you guys put together. Uh, I'm in the middle of an Indiegogo campaign, and it's been really helpful to have your show. Uh, One thing that's been huge for me as far as gaining early momentum was uh, kind of taking the time to prep the campaign ahead of time. I'm not always the uh, most patient person, and I was originally gonna pull the trigger about a month ago, but I decided to wait, and I'm glad I did. Uh, I think it gave me time to build a better campaign um so what I did was actually I put some of my own money into recording two songs up front so people could kinda hear what they were gonna get. Um everything I've done up to this point's been kind of a bedroom demo or maybe a little better. Um and uh I don't know, I thought it'd be important to show people that they're getting a professional product. Um also ahead of time I was able to kinda recruit friends and close family to uh get on board right away so we have momentum in the first week. Uh, I was also kind of inspired by the uh, interview with Benji from uh, Pledge Music, and even though we're using Indiegogo, um, we're doing the flexible funding, so all the PayPal money comes through right away, and so we're actually going to be working on the record as we're like kind of doing the funding, which uh, I'm pretty excited about. So, Anyway, as of right now, I'm about uh, 40% of my goal, and uh, I'm trying to keep the momentum going. People can check it out if they go to Indiegogo and search Dan Patrick Fulton or through my website at danpatrickfulton.com. Thanks again for uh, putting together a great podcast. Uh, I'm totally hooked on it. Take care, guys. Bye.
1: Thanks for the call, Dan. Uh, I thought that was uh, interesting. I haven't talked to anybody who's used Indiegogo before, but it was a good idea that, um, you know, he's starting a a fan funding campaign. And, you know, like he mentioned, a lot of his recordings to that point had been uh, more like bedroom recordings and, Trying to get people to understand that what they are going to be contributing to is going to be a totally different level, taking the time to go record a couple songs and um, have some better songs, uh, better professionally recorded songs to kind of showcase what the project is going to be like. I thought that was a good idea and probably a better way to prime the pump of uh, a, a fan funding campaign.
2: Yeah, I was thinking. Um as a lesson from that even beyond crowdfunding is just have a little bit of patience. Again, like I know so often, like we create a new song, we want to record it right away. Then when it's recorded, we want to put it out right away. Like when you're releasing an album or you're planning a tour, or you're doing a crowdfunding campaign. If you could just wait a month or two and, and think it through, make sure you get everything, you know, all lined up, then, um, it, patience is usually something that artists don't have. So I think
1: that's a great, great lesson from that. Indeed, yep. indeed. Um, yeah, so that's that's the, the, the listener feedback and calls. And we love getting your calls and emails and uh, seeing your comments on the website. So if again, if you'd like to call us and weigh in on the podcast, our listener line is 360-524-2209. You can email us at podcast at cdbabypodcast.com or leave a comment in the show notes at cdbabypodcast.com. And uh, Dan actually sent us a track from his uh, new album that he said, Hey, if you guys want to use on the podcast, uh, feel free. And uh, since we played his phone call, I figured we'd end the show with uh, his song. All right. Sweet. And he shared a song called Summer with us. I thought it was a a nice sounding song. We're going to end the show on that. So thanks for listening and we'll, we'll catch you next time. Bye.
0: Peace.
3: wings wide and wide Calls to me like a field Calls to a child For such promises Those twirling layers Swing and sway Beckon to me like a voice From far away What well, calm, she says Summer whispers in my ear But am I ready now to hear I find myself in warming winds, the sunlight in a heart shines from within and sets all aglow. The season's feeling grows again, I remember feeling just like this back then, so long ago. Soft reflections in her eyes. As the fire dies, summer whispers to me, calls me out from what I know. Do I dare go? Summer spirit moves me, sends me. Settles down The night is dark But fill the sound And sweet still air And still she lingers And surrounds But if I reach out For her now Will she be there? Summer whispers to me Calls me out From what I know Do I tell Summer spirit moves me, sends me spinning like a wheel, it's so unreal. Summer whispers to me, calls me out from what I know. Do I dare to go? Summer.
1: You've been listening to the CD Baby DIY Musician Podcast, broadcasting from Portland, Oregon, USA.